Howdy folks, welcome back to the new Sprint Commando as we continue our coverage of Pacific Comics, this time looking at the first issue of Star Slayer, The Log of the Jolly Roger, on sale October 21st, 1981. If you do want to send any feedback, you can tweet me at Teal Productions, Teal is in the color, or News P Commando on Twitter. Teal Productions has a page on Facebook. I am IndieMan.com at, uh, excuse me, not .com. I am IndieMan at gmail.com. ComicBookNoise.com slash TNC, Tango November Charlie, and just anotherfanboy.freeforums.net. So there is Twitter, Facebook, email, website, and forums, all to leave constructive criticism, or any kind of criticism, should you choose, or anything, if you just want to get in touch with me. I need people to talk to me. I, no, I'm kidding. Those are ways to send feedback if you want to. Now, the book we're looking at is scripted, penciled, and inked by Mr. Mike Grell, colored by Steve Olaf, and lettered by Mike Grell as well. The cover is a wraparound cover. Um, on the back cover, it tells us Star Slayer Saga of the Jolly Roger, a future universe of adventure, strange new planets, sparkling cities, and civilizations of wonder to explore, populated with life in the struggle to survive. And the right half of the image shows us a burning, actually a burning circle, kind of unto, uh, unto the um, stones there in England. I believe we call them Stonehenge nowadays. Um, yeah, sorry for that. Had kind of a brain fart there. Long ships coming ashore, a young boy with a bow and arrow watching them, and a young lady who's standing with a sword raised behind the young boy in a my rather striking pose. I believe in retrospect, this is our protagonist's son and wife. On the front cover, uh, the, the right-hand uh, right side of the two-page spread, a Celtic barbarian in the far-flung future origin issue is what we're told. And we have another quasi-stonehenge, only this time as we're looking through uh, one of the hinges, we see a space image with a flying uh, ship with sails in space and a large red sun and our protagonist Torin McQuillan here with a, another young lady all dressed in black with black hair uh, toting a laser gun of some sort while Torin here has a large sword that is afire with a laser on his hip. So the left hand half of the image we see in this issue, the right hand Half of the image is only uh, hinted at by the end of the story. We open up, and on the inside front cover is an article, uh, an editor editorial by Mike Grell entitled Procreation. Of uh, particular interest is the concept that he also created Warlord, which he said deals with a modern-day character in a primitive society. With Star Slayer, he wanted to feature a Celtic barbarian in the far-flung future, so the polar opposite of the way that the warlord is constructed. And then he goes on to tell a little bit of the history of development of the character. As the story starts, uh, the very first thing that I'm led to is the coloring is not uh, all that, I don't know, pleasing to my eye for a variety of reasons. I'm not sure what happened, if it was Pacific, if it was the printing. I don't believe it was Mr. Olaf because I've seen his stuff on the, um, I believe he colors the galactic uh, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, doesn't he? Let's take a look back here. Yes, 
he does those uh, colors, and they are very different from Star Slayer. So I'm not sure what happened here. But we have our protagonist, Torin McQuillan, on a hunt with his son, Bran. And they come upon the boar uh, that they're hunting. And Bran is about to attempt to take it down with a bow and arrow. But Torin, his dad, tells him, no, no, son, you have to get really close so that you risk death and it breathes its hot breath on you and you feel the heat of its blood as it seeps into the ground and you... And well, anyways, he's telling the son that it has to be a close, quick death with a creature of this sort, not the far away, safe kind of hunting that uh, his son was going to do. Also notice that there is a uh, either a bull mastiff or some other kind of really large British slash Germanic hunting dog uh, that Torin is using here on leash as well. And I say Germanic because this is um, occurring at the time that the Romans are coming across the channel and infesting the British Isles. So the, the predominant culture on the British Isles is, I believe, the Celtic culture. But we find out that Torin is much more of the uh, Scythian um, peoples. His father was a Scythian. Apparently, his mother was a Celt. Now, the Scythians, for those of you that aren't overly familiar with them, are a race that centered around... Uh, Northern Ukraine, uh, the southern Volga, Ural steppes, uh, kind of north and a little west of the Black Sea. So they're way over here uh, to the east of the British Isles and across like they're they're on the very edge, actually, of where uh, the European, quote unquote, continent ends and the Asian continent begins. So his dad had to cross most of Europe to get to the uh, channel to then cross over to the British Isles to uh, impregnate his mother, who then gave birth to him there while dad went back. Uh, and that a little bit of that history is detailed later in the book. So there's a lot of, of Germanic Russian um, allusions in Torin's history. And one that struck me right away was this uh, bull mastiff, perhaps, or, or this kind of hunting dog that he has here. Could be British, but I, I bet that it is more of a Germanic uh, nature, this dog. Well, anyways, the son, uh, Bran, sets the spear in the ground and lowers it at the rushing uh, boar, and it, it pinions the boar through it. And so he does manage to kill the boar, and his, his dad is trying to, to attune the son to nature, to the, the type of living that they that they have. And he asks the boy how he feels, and the boy says, well, he's proud and excited, but he's also sad about killing the animal. And Torn tells him, well, good, because you should never be happy in having to do what you have to do to survive. But that is why we do this, is to survive. Now, they have ventured far from their people in hunting this boar. Uh, pretty much they have come all the way across the British Isles to the English Channel side because he sees the Romans landing. Um, now, not initial landings, but a, a crew of Russians, Russians, excuse me, a crew of Romans landing. And this sends him uh, much, much aflame, Torin. He is familiar uh, somehow, I guess, with previous attempts of the Romans and how they have interacted with other British tribes. He is 
not happy that the Romans are there, and so when he sees them land, he jumps uh, off of a, a hillside and attacks a troop of them. Now, this scene is a two-page spread, but really to see it, you have to rotate it clockwise 90 degrees so that the left page is at the top and the right page is at the bottom, and it's a uh, two-page spread in that way. And we see that Torin is dispatching in this uh, panel at least six Roman centurions along with his attack uh, dog here while his son is watching his dad go rather animalistic. They continue on their journey along the coast some because he's keeping a watch on these Russians coming ashore until ultimately they leave shore and veer more inland to get to their tribal home uh, where they are carrying this boar. I, I get the impression it's several days' journey um, that they went on the quest for this boar, and now they're bringing it back with news that the Romans are landing. Torin comes screaming into the town, the, the village, yelling to arms, let the war trumpet sound. And it rouses his wife, who comes out and asks what's going on. He tells the wife to gather their things. They're moving inland into the forest. And the chieftain of the tribe here, Hadwin, comes up, and he is much aggrieved by what Torin McQuillan is doing, trying to rouse uh, the village unnecessarily, because he is going to treat with the Romans, and everyone is going to live happily ever after, because that's what the Romans want, is they simply want to treat, and then everyone will live up to their side of the agreements, and all will be peachy keen, right? Well, Torin kind of doesn't believe that, because he has somehow knowledge of how the, Tor uh, the Romans treated the Scythians, which his dad was of, and also has seen how Rome uh, and the Romans have treated other villages here in the British Isles. And neither really fills Torin with uh, happy, uh, warm fuzzies about what the Romans are going to do. Well, ultimately, the chief just has enough of his trying to rouse the village until he basically tells Torin to get out. You know, if you're going to go, just shut your mouth and go, basically, is what he tells him. And beseeches Torin's wife, who happens to be the chieftain's daughter, you know, will you have some common sense and stay? And she's like, no, I happen to agree with my husband. Better to live and die a free man than to die under the boot of the Romans. And her dad pulls like the really low ball card and says, oh, well, what about your son? And she's like, well, my son will do the same as I do. And it's like oh, pulling the kid card out here. In the midst of, of that scene, we have a two-page spread that is an ad for where you can buy uh, the books, the distributors, and the stores that are selling Star Slayer. Of interest to me is West Virginia. Uh, one of the Star Slayer issues I mentioned, Felix's Fun Town in Fairmont, or Felix's Fantastics in Fairmont. Another store has entered the fray here, Comic World in Huntington. Now, Comic World I am familiar with. They're still there now today, as a matter of fact. I shopped there when I was in graduate school at Marshall University. That's where Marshall University is, Huntington. And uh, Comic World is known for a couple things. Uh, there was a, an independent movie centered there with her as one of the main characters and her comic book shop. I believe it was Comic Lady or Comic Book Lady, something like that. And um, also there is a famous cartoonist from Cleveland, um, Harvey Picard. 
who has made trips to Huntington and has stopped at Comic World and may also have been in that movie. I don't know if that's the connection or if just on trips to Huntington he shopped at Comic World. But he has a connection to Comic World too, Harvey Picard. So, uh, also uh, that I passed up a couple interesting ads here. One of particular note is an ad for uh, starting next Issue careening through the sky and out of these pages comes The Rocketeer by Dave Stevens. Now, that will come much down the road, and the book will be entitled Pacific Presents, I believe is where that first shows up. So uh, maybe The the Rocketeer was originally going to get his own book, but ultimately it didn't turn out that way. Here's excitement dished out in brutal chunks back when the teeth of justice bit deep into the throat of crime. Oh, nice bylines. And uh, Dave Stevens and his females, boy, he could he could draw the female form. But the Rocketeer, so that'll be a Pacific Comics book. Uh, we also have an ad here for a subscription for Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. All right. Uh, we also, with the comic book uh, store ad, we have an ad for the next issue of Star Slayer, issue number two, but just an ad for it, not uh, – well, actually, they're asking for letters for their letters pages, which will start appearing in issue two. All right, so Hadwin uh, has told Torin McQuillan to leave and quit trying to incite uh, the villagers. Torin has moved into the forest with his wife Gwyneth – I don't believe I've said her name yet – and Bran – and on the outskirts of the village, as they're walking away, they meet Ivor, who is an old, old man. Looks like he's kind of wearing a Viking helmet. I don't know if that means he's a Viking or if the Celts maybe had come by some Viking equipment in the day. I'm not sure. But he's an old man. But he agrees with Torin. Uh, better to live free than uh, die under the, the boot heel of someone else. So they journey into the forest until they find a dwelling built into the trunk of a tree. And Ivor tells him, aye, it's the dwelling of the old druid necromancer. And his name is going to turn out to be Ambrosius. Um, and he has he has dug out the tree and lives in the tree trunk. There's a window and a door set into the tree trunk. Well, as they're talking to Ambrosius, who walks up on them from, you know, off to the side here, young Bran slips into the abode and comes out with a sword. And Ambrosius tells him, I didn't make it for you, but for the grandson of your grandson's grandson, or something like that. Now, before the scene is over, we see that Ambrosius has taken the sword and embedded it in an anvil that is uh, mounted atop a stone. So this is the sword in the stone, which means that Torin McQuillan, uh, and more importantly, I guess, his son, Bran, is related to King Arthur by one, two, three generations or so. Eh, interesting little connection there. So uh, they get some some uh, guidance from Ambrosius, and they head on their way. Meanwhile, the Romans have landed, and they are now talking. They've made their way inland enough that they're talking to Hadwin, and they offer him some pittance for uh, whatever agreement they want. And we're starting to see that the uh, there's a little bit of uh, grief between Hadwin and what the Romans are offering. So as this is going on, it's being watched uh, in quiet by Torin. 
until finally he decides, no, something needs to be done because I can, I can see the Romans are getting riled and they're about to attack. So he attacks them from, you know, from this side over here while the Romans are talking to Hadwin on that side over there. And he breaks through the line and just starts absolutely slaughtering the Roman centurions. Makes his way through to Hadwin who says, oh, hey, you're right, dog. Thanks for the heads up. And so now the village and Hadwin and Torin all uh, lay into the centurions, although I would have to guesstimate that the uh, weapon-wielding peoples number much more on the centurion side than they do on the village side that Torin and Hadwin are from. This starts to show until ultimately Hadwin is the last man standing. Uh, he is half-blind, lame, but he still presses his attacks. It says here, the jackal fears the wounded lion, for in his claws is death. Now the jackal is the Romans, and the wounded lion is Torin. So they get ready to take him with their centurion shields. You know, they form this wall, and they all have the spears. And Torin, in his last desperate attempt, leaps on them from higher ground, and just as he's about to fall onto the spears that they have standing here, he disappears in this coagulation of lightning and, and some sort of energy nimbus, and he just goes poof. Well, before we find out what happened, we have an ad here for a Neil Adams backup in the next issue of Captain Victory, issue number three. So this looks, there's a picture of the cover here, and it does have a Kirby cover, but it also has a Neil Adams backup feature, which apparently is going to be Ms. Mystic. So that's cool. I look forward to do that. I, I To do that, I look forward to reading that. I haven't read ahead. I read just for the podcast itself and these Captain Victory. Actually, this issue of Star Slayer of these uh, for this new set of books that I've been going through, Samurai and Red Fox, and then these Pacific comics. This is the first of those books that I've talked about that I have read previously many, many years ago, but Star Slayer number one, at least, I have read, and maybe several other issues of Star Slayer, but certainly not all that were put out by Pacific. All right, we turn the page and we see, but Torin Maquillan is not in the hands of the gods, nor is his story over. Indeed, the legend is only beginning. The legend of, now that's on the left-hand side, and we see him uh, somehow being shunted through space and uh, coalescing energy and the pained face of his star slayer on the right side, and he is... Uh, becoming material within this cylinder or perhaps a cylinder of energy in some futuristic setting with some uh, female sitting here in a chair in the background all decked out in uh, rather revealing black with black hair, her hand poised over some sort of console uh, as if she's directing his snatching from the time, uh, time river of time and and pulling him into this future wherever she is, I guess. Uh, what we're going to be told is that, well, ultimately he was going to die anyway, so time is not going to miss him. So in that I pulled him right from his moment of death, it's not going to you know, do any whammies or anything like that. Inside back page, or the, the final story page, we have an ad for Neil Adams' Miss Mystic, uh, her own book, which is coming later in 1982, which it does very later in 82, like in November, December, something like that. Inside back cover, the Pacific Comics Reader Survey again, and then the back cover, as I said, that covers a two-page uh, 
wraparound cover. And so that is the, the back cover is the left side of the wraparound cover. So uh, good, fun stuff. A little bit of uh, history or uh, uh, geography here with the Scythians and the, the Celts or the Celts. Actually, the Celts, I believe, is how it should be pronounced, not like the basketball team. Um, Torn McQuillan, his mixed ancestry, the barbarian taken from the uh, Celtic world and transported to the future, just the smallest inkling of that. We have upcoming Rocketeer. We have upcoming Ms. Mystic Neil Adams ads. I finally see a comic book store in the ads that I recognize in West Virginia. Um, a, a lot of good stuff here. And as I said, I, I had read this before and a lot of it uh, came back to me as I read it. So I, I must not have read it too, too long ago for it to come back. Usually if it I remember reading it, but it doesn't come back, that means it was a while back. All right. That is it for the Pacific Comics installment. Looks like the next book up I have to talk about next episode will be Samurai from Aircell Comics issue number two. I'll talk to you guys next time about that. Ciao.